Welcome to the One Crossing Podcast. Here you can find past sermons along with other exclusive content. Our prayer is that God will move in your life even when you are on the go. We hope you enjoy this message. Well, good morning, Crossing Church. How are you doing this morning? That's what I like to hear. Woo! It's been, it's good to be in the house of the Lord. Good to be with the people of the Lord. And I'm glad it's Sunday and not Thursday. Thursday was tough. It was tough. It was, uh, uh, the week was just not going very well. How many of you had a week like that? Just didn't go. I mean, I don't know if it's this week or another week, but you've had one of those weeks, right? I've had, I was having one of those weeks. Uh, Clayton was having one of those weeks, one of those days. He told me he had 52 phone calls just in that day, just on Thursday. I mean, it was just, just insane. And there was all these other things that were pulling on me and I was getting down. I was getting depressed. And, and I knew I had this, uh, I had this sermon to preach and it was an important, it was a critical sermon. And you know, there's a time there where you, all of a sudden you just get some spiritual clarity and it's like, Oh, this is you, Satan. You're trying to rob me and you're trying to rob this congregation of hearing the word of God. I'm just not going to let that happen. And it was hard to say that because, you know, it's easy to get lost and caught up in the lower story. You do it, I do it. We all, we all do it. And so I want you to know that this is not just a, I don't think this is just a timely sermon, an important sermon. I think that Satan has directly tried to keep this sermon from being, being preached. So it's going to have uh, a harvest. There's, there's going to be something produced uh, in, uh, in this uh, time that we spend today. And uh, I'm excited for all of our campuses joining all over this uh, region, uh, 165 miles wide. If you're inside online.tv, I just believe with all my heart that the investment that you're making of your time right now is going to pay you off. If you just let the Lord do what he wants to do, he's been doing that in my life. And uh, I am, I'm glad that it's Sunday and I've got a couple of days from the, cause, cause he's faithful, isn't he? Amen. He is, he's faithful. So do you know what this is behind me? It's a game, right? And what, what's the name of the game? Everybody yell it out if you know it. Jenga. Yeah, it's Jenga. You know, it comes, uh, it comes from a Swahili word, uh, which is kajinga, which means to build. It means to build. So you know how this game works, right? So like you, uh, you know. You kind of, you kind of, oh yeah, there's a good one. You know, how, you, you, and you pull that out, right? And then you, you put it up here and then somebody else comes along and they start testing them. Uh, no. Oh yeah, that one. Have you done this before? And you do that. And then what happens is little by little, bit by bit, all this down here gets pretty jank. It gets pretty uh, not so good. And this up here gets bigger and it starts getting top heavy instead of bottom heavy, right? And, uh, and so you know how this game goes and how it always ends, right? And when I think about that game, you know, I think about my life. And I wonder if you think about your life because all of us are doing this. All of us are building a life. We're all building a life. And when we get life, when God gives us life, things are pretty good. Things start out pretty well, right? Pretty solid, pretty good, right? But then you make choices. And it's kind of like looking at this Jenga game and you're making these choices and you're trying to figure out, well, can I, can I, can I, can I, can I, can I do, right? We start making choices and we make some bad choices, but maybe 
right there, and as soon as we make the choice, nothing really bad happens. We think, hey, I got away with that choice. And we put that up on the top of the Jenga game. And it's not always us. It's not always us who makes the choice. Maybe somebody else makes the choice for us, and they're taking their little pinky finger, and they're, you know, they're kind of poking on your life, and, you know, and something comes out. But you know what happens. Whether it's your choice or whether it's somebody else's choice, things get a little more complicated. Things get a little less stable, right? And we're taking things out of where they should be, where they should have been, in the first place. And everybody knows how this game ends, right? How does this game end? It always ends exactly the same way. It ends with a fall, a crash, and then a mess to clean up. Does that sound like your life? Yeah, it's like a game of, of Jenga. Like, you know, you, you're taking these out and, and you don't think anything's going to happen. And eventually it always ends the same way. It ends up with a fall, a crash, and a mess to clean up. You might be going, Jerry, you're talking about my life today. Yeah, I am. And I'm talking about mine as well. But listen, I want you to know that if you listen to what I'm sharing today, and if you put it into practice, it's going to change that equation. If this is what your life is like, it will change that equation. We are in a series called Closed on Sunday. And I've been noticing on social media, this is really freaking people out. They're like, are, you, are we closed today? Are you closed? No, we're not closed. We're not closed. What we're talking about is we're talking about all the other things that are in your life that take your time and your talent and your energy and your resources. And we're talking about subjecting all of that to your first priority, your priority of being a Christ follower. That when it comes to, when it comes to what I'm doing with the Lord or what I'm doing with his people, there's a priority there. So I'm closed on Sunday. Like, you know, don't ask me to be doing other stuff. Don't ask me to be shifting my priorities. Don't ask me to be playing this Jenga game because I want to be closed on Sunday. And I'm going to start that by being committed to being right here. Right here, one of our locations every week. You know why? Because the 10 things that we're talking about from Acts 241 to 247, we do those 10 things every time we come together in worship. And they are the basic building blocks of what it means to be a Christ follower. And I need to have those building blocks in my life, solid and in my life, if I want to have a successful life that doesn't end up with a fall, a crash, and a mess to clean up, right? So I want your life to look way different than the inevitable result of this game. Does that make sense? All right. You know who else talked about this? Jesus did. And the best sermon ever preached on the face of the earth was in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. It's known as the Sermon on the Mount. And if you know what preachers do, they always try to end with a flurry, just like a fireworks show has a grand finale. They need something that just sticks. I mean, it may be a lousy sermon, but if it has a good ending, maybe that'll be what sticks with you, right? Well, this is how Jesus ends the Sermon on the Mount. It's in Matthew, <coughs> excuse me, chapter 7, verses 24 to 27. Here's his words. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. 
But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. And the rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell with a great crash. It seems like Jesus knows his Jenga. Because your life can fall with a great crash, right? And he knows how to keep that tragedy from happening in your life, as it does over and over again in our lives because of our choices, right? So here's what I want us to do. I want us to review where we've been because there is an order to the things that God wants us to do that make us a Christ follower. And the first week in this series, we learned about baptism, right? Is in Acts 2.41 because the people responded to the message that Simon Peter delivered on the day of Pentecost, and it says about 3,000 were added that very first day. Let me explain why that needs to be first, okay? I'm going to give you another scripture. Acts 2.38. This is after he's preached the sermon. These people are they're cut to their heart. They don't know what to do, and they ask this simple question of Peter and the rest of the apostles. They say, what do we do? And the answer is in Acts 2.38. It's repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, I want to concentrate on that last statement, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That is a very big deal, not just in that sermon, in the, in the ending of that sermon or that altar call, but it's also a very big deal when it comes to the other nine things you learn in this uh, set of 10 things. This is why baptism needs to come first, right? And especially the one that we're talking about today. Let me explain, because we're gonna be talking about the apostles' teaching or the word of God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, the apostle Paul informs us, he says this, the man without the spirit does not accept the things that come from the spirit of God for they are foolishness to him. And he cannot, what's that word say with me? Cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. That means the Holy Spirit inside of us is required for us to truly understand and accept the things of the word of God. So you see why baptism needs to come first and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit and the gift of the Holy Spirit is required for us to understand the things of God's word so that we can apply them into our lives. Jesus said this himself in John 16, 13. He said that the Holy Spirit will guide you into all truth. We need the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, the indwelling presence of Almighty God inside of us to understand his word. So it means that the Holy Spirit is required to understand the things of God, specifically these next nine things that, that we're going through. So, you know, last week we talked about authority. So it, once we've crossed that line, once we've gone over that line, we're saying, you know, I believe that Jesus, I believe this, I want to repent, change, turn, and I'm baptized, then I'm putting myself under the authority of, of his church. That time it was the apostles, right? We talked about that last week. 
And I'm going to put myself under the authority of the teaching. The teaching. So let's look at Acts 2.42 again. It said, they devoted themselves. Remember what that means? They enthusiastically leaned in. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. To the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. We're going to be talking about those later in this series. So what happened? The Holy Spirit opened the door of understanding. The apostles having this special understanding and they're under their authority, then delivered this teaching. And the people were able to receive this teaching because they had received the Holy Spirit. Now, what was the teaching that they delivered? What was the teaching that the apostles delivered? Well, it was what they had learned from Jesus. Remember, all these people were eyewitnesses. All of these apostles were with Jesus, right? And so what they're doing is they're they're repeating the teachings of Jesus and they're talking about what it was like to be with Jesus. Now, those things are recorded for us. They're recorded in the biographies of the New Testament or Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the first four books of the New Testament. And it was based on firsthand experience. So like the book of Mark, maybe you go, wait a minute now, Mark wasn't an apostle. You're right. He wasn't an apostle. And the book of Mark is not really the book of Mark. It's the book of Peter. Because Mark was Peter's scribe. So these are Peter's recollections of being with Jesus. Book of Matthew was written by Matthew, who was a Jewish tax collector. And it's primarily written for Jews to understand the relationship that they can have now with God. That's why there's so much of the law reflected in the book of Matthew. Book of John was written quite a bit later, and John is testifying to the fact that Jesus isn't just a guy, he's the son of God. There was some wondering about exactly who is he? He is the son of God. He is God in human form. That's why John begins in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And then it goes on to say, the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the only begotten of the father, full of grace and truth. It's interesting that Jesus's name in the book of John is the word of God. In the book of Luke, we have the most complete version of the biography of Jesus. And it's interesting because Luke is not an apostle and he's not even Jewish. He's the only guy, the only guy in the whole Bible that's writing who is a Gentile. He's not even a Jew, right? But he is the personal physician of the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul commissions him to write a complete biography of Jesus, his life and his teaching, and also the history of the church. That's why he wrote the book of Luke and the book of Acts. But it was under the authority of the Apostle Paul, right? Let's look at Luke chapter 1, verses 1 to 4, because Luke says this himself. He says, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. See that? Eyewitnesses. Therefore, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, it seemed good also to me to write an orderly account to you, most excellent Theophilus. You might go, who's Theophilus? It just means lover of God. So if you're a lover of God, this is written to you, all right? So that you may know the certainty of the things that you have been taught. He doesn't want you to just kind of hope for it. He wants you to know it for certain, right? 
And this was what they were devoted to in Acts 2.42. Those first century brand new believers were devoted not just to the authority of the apostles, but to what they were teaching because they were eyewitnesses of what Jesus had actually done. So you re, re, let's return to Matthew chapter seven. Jesus said, if you hear these words of mine, right, you'll be like, so when you say these words of mine and you're talking about Jesus and Jesus is the word of God and Jesus is God in the flesh, we're actually talking about God's word, right? We're talking about God's word. So the, the teaching of the apostles was God's word. And today we have our Bible, which is what? God's word. That's right. Now, I want you to know something about God's word, and we're going to explore this in a little bit. But, the, but God's word, the Bible does not contain God's word. The Bible is God's word. And there's a big difference. When I say the Bible contains God's word, it means I'm picking and choosing those parts that I think are kind of God's word and those parts that I don't think are God's word. But when I say the Bible is God's word, then I'm going, it isn't about me, it's about him, right? It's all God's word. And some of us get tripped up on some really dumb things. Like, like uh, we'll read in the Old Testament about, uh, oh, hey, this person had this many wives and this person had, so does that mean that it's okay to have a lot of wives? No, it's just telling you the truth. It's just telling you what they did. It's not telling you that it was right. It's not telling you that God approved of it. It's just telling you the truth. And that's what the Bible is. The Bible is the truth of God. Now here's the, and so it is, it's an inerrant word. That's what we believe at the crossing. We believe that the Bible is true and accurate. 100%. We want to base our lives on the word of God. Do you know that 87% of Americans have a Bible in their house? Average American family has three, three Bibles in their house. But just because you have a Bible in your house doesn't mean that you are devoted to the Word of God. True? Right. So let's understand what devotion means. If he's saying they were devoted to God's Word, we want to be devoted to God's Word, what does it mean to be devoted to God's Word? Let me give you two things here, okay? Number one, you got to believe that it's true. You've got to believe that it's true. Not that it contains the truth, but that it is the truth. John 17, 17, Jesus is speaking, and he says to God, his Father, sanctify them, set them apart, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. There's four words to live by right there. Your word is truth. Doesn't say it contains it. Doesn't say you have to find it inside there. Your word is truth. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17 says this, all scripture... All, how much? All scripture is God breathed. The word of God, the very breath of God, and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. How many good works? Every good work. Everything you need to know is in there. It's all there for you. And it is not just the word of God, it's the breath of God. We have a word for that. And the Bible is the word inspiration, which means the breath of God. Second Peter chapter 1, 21, uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21, Peter elaborates on this. Listen, he says, for prophecy 
never had its origin in the will of man. In other words, this isn't guys just saying what they think. This isn't commentary. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? It means that when people are inspired by God, that God is putting his very word into them and he is directing them what to write when they put pen to parchment. So you aren't reading, this is Luke's impression of God. You're reading the word of God. And that's what inspiration is. Listen, I could preach for a year just on the truth of the word of God and I wouldn't get tired and I don't think you would either. Because it is so accurate. That statement is so accurate that the word of God is true. But I want us to look at how Jesus compared it in Matthew 7. He said that the word of God is like a foundation, not just a foundation, but a rock. And the only foundation that is worthy for you to build your life upon. So there can only be one response to the belief that God's word is true. And that is to put your faith in it. So what is devotion? Devotion is to believe in God's word, number one. And number two, to put your faith in it. It isn't just enough to believe it's true. You have to put your faith in it, right? And when you put your faith in it, it has a profound effect, all right? So let's read 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. It says, and we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but at, as it actually is, the word of God which is at work in you who believe. That means it's not working in you if you don't believe. That's why being devoted to the words of God means that you need to believe it, number one, and then you need to put your faith in it, number two. Now, when we put our faith into God's word, it has this massive effect on us. I mean, I made some pretty grandiose statements at the beginning of this, beginning of this sermon, and it's because it's true that when you put your faith in God's word, it will have a massive impact on you. And that's why Jesus didn't just say in Matthew 7, he who hears these words of mine. He said, he who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice will be like a man who builds his house on the rock. In John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32, Jesus is speaking and it says, to the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. And then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. It's not enough just to know the truth. But when you accept that truth by faith, it has this massive effect. It sets you free. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 2, the writer says, For we also have had the gospel preached to us, just as they did. But the message they heard, listen, was no, of no value to them, because those who heard it did not combine it with faith. It doesn't have any value to believe that God's word is true unless you put your faith in it, unless you act on it, right? It's like what Jesus said. It's like a guy who goes up to the mirror and as soon as he looks at himself, but as soon as he walks away from the mirror, he forgets what he looks like. So like if you've been out in the wind and your hair's all messed up and you look in the mirror and you go, oh, my hair's all messed up, but then you don't even do anything to fix your hair, what good was it? How, how much did it help you? If your spouse says, hey, you have something in your teeth, 
Have you ever done that? Have you ever had something, or something in your teeth? It's like, and you don't want them to point or like take it out themselves. That would be really gross. So like, like you get out your phone, you know, and you make it go do reverse. And you're like, oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> got it. Did I get it? Yeah, you don't go, oh, yeah, yeah, it's in my teeth. Because <laughs> that's gross. You can't just believe that something is true. You have to act on it, right? We have to act on it. We have to combine it with faith. But how do I do that? How do I put my faith in the word of God? Let me give you four ways to put your faith in the word of God. Number one, you need to hear it. And I mean, really. You know, there's a difference between hearing and really listening, right? How many of you have seen a Charlie Brown animated TV show before? Do you remember the teacher? Yeah, yeah, they're all doing it. I can hear you. Wah, 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 wah. Yeah. So a lot of people, when they hear God's word, they really don't hear God's word. They hear Charlie Brown's teacher. And what I'm saying is, you need to really listen to God's word. You need to hear it. And you need to hear it either by listening to it, meditating on it, or reading it. You need to allow God to speak to you, number one. Number two, you need to believe it. You need to believe it. And listen, believing in the word of God is a choice you make. It's a choice that you make. Am I going to accept the fact that that is what I'm reading here is true? I'm going to make that choice. Number three, you need to declare it. And there are two ways that you declare the truth of God's word. You do it internally and you do it externally. Okay. So internally, what does that mean? It means when you read it, you go, this is not only true, it's true for me. This is true for me. Instead of uh, they did that, maybe it's like I need to do this. Like when Jesus says, sanctify them in the truth, your word is truth. You need to be saying, heavenly father, sanctify me in your truth because I believe your word is true. Hear what's happening? I am declaring it inside of me. I'm declaring it in my heart. Secondly, I do it externally. It's not just internally, it's externally. And that's when we tell other people that I believe that God's word is true. Jesus said, if you confess me before men, I will confess you before my father in heaven. If you do not confess me before men, neither will I confess you before my father who is in heaven. When we declare openly the word of God, we are confessing that it is true and we are confessing Jesus because Jesus is the word of God. That's number three. So hear it, believe it, declare it. And number four, act on it. Act on it. In James chapter one, verse 22, it says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Have faith in it. Act on it. Okay, now I want to apply this. Okay, let's apply this to our lives. There's five ways that we need to apply this larger story to our lives. And I want us to go back again to Matthew chapter 7. Because Jesus was saying that it's a wise man who builds his house on a rock. Because there are circumstances that happen that require the house being built in a certain way. And if you build it the right way, you're wise. And if you build it the wrong way, you're foolish. Right? So how can we become wise? How do I apply this? How do I take the word of God into me? Here it is. Number one, everyone is building a life. Is that true? 
Yeah, you're building a life. I mean, some of you right now, if someone else were to do an evaluation of your life, they would go, wow, dude, that's jank. That something needs to happen because you are one block short of a crash, right? You're doing the Jenga and it, there is not another move in that game without a mess to clean up. There just isn't, right? Some of you are going, hey, I, I think I'm doing pretty good. I think things are looking all right right now. Listen, every one of us is building a life. We're making choices and other people are making choices that we have to deal with, right? What does your life look like? Ask yourself that question right now. What does it look like compared to that Jenga game? Number two, storms are coming. Storms are always coming. Don't believe that they won't. I know some people naive, with naivete believe like, hey, if I accept Jesus as my savior, he'll save me from all the storms. Where in the world did you get that? What Bible did you read that out of? You know what I read? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, God will create a detour so I can go up on the mountaintop. That's not what it says. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you're with me. It means that he's not going to eliminate the storms in your life. He'll be with you in the midst of the storms of your life. You're not going to be able to avoid them. So understand the truth of this. Storms are coming. They are always coming. Don't believe that they won't. You don't get special privileges to be removed from storms if you declare that yourself to be a Christ follower. Number three, a wise person believes in storms and then builds accordingly. A wise person believes in storms and then builds accordingly. It would be silly not to. I mean, think about it. Why would you want, why would you want to build in such a way that it, it would not be able to withstand the storms of life? Why? Because of number four, a house that falls, falls when it is needed the most. When the weather is great outside and the sun is shining and everything's going great, shelter is not that big a deal. But when the storm rages and when the winds blow and the streams rise up, that's when you really need to be able to run into a solid house. And that's when it's needed the most. That's why the Bible says the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and they are saved. Number five, don't wait for storms to build on the right foundation. You know, a lot of us are like, well, I'm going to do what I'm going to do. And, you know, if, if stuff gets tough, well, then I'll run to Jesus. I'm not saying it's a bad idea to run to Jesus. I'm just saying it's way easier to build when the weather's good rather than when the weather's bad. Is that true or false? It's absolutely true. So there's five ways that you can apply it. But let me do it for you. Let me do it right now. Let me tell you a little bit about what I know about God's word. Okay, are you okay with that? Would you like to hear a little of that? Listen, the word of God is a sword that I use to slay the enemy. You know, Jesus did that on the Mount of Temptation. And still, it's a scalpel that's sharp enough to cut out the cancer in my heart and life. And it's a salve that I can put on the wound. 
The, the word of God is like a seed that produces a harvest in my life. It's like a flower that opens up to the sunshine. It's like a fountain that quenches the deepest thirst that a person can have. It's a light that overpowers the deepest darkness. It's a mirror that looks into the depths of my soul. It's a compass that will always guide you home. It's a window into the very heart of God. It's the answer for life's hardest questions, and we have plenty of them. It's the voice of God speaking through the noise of life. It's the greatest story ever told. It gives me power for living. It gives me hope in dying. It gives me joy in the journey. It gives me peace that passes all understanding and a foundation that I can stand on when everything else gives way. And I'm just getting started. You see what I mean? Let's be people of the word, people of the book, People that hide God's word in their hearts so that they won't sin against him. Closed on Sunday. Closed on Sunday. You bet. I don't need a pep talk. I don't need a therapy session. I don't need a feel-good story. I don't need a clever analogy. You know what I need? I need the word of God. Give me more of it. Give me more of the word of God because that is the place where I change. It's the place where he divides soul and spirit, joint and marrow, and finds the tender places in my heart where I didn't even know I had places. We're moving to a time of decision. Thank you for joining us. A special thank you to those of you that choose to give to this ministry. It's because of your generosity that this ministry is possible. You can click the link in the description to give now or visit thecrossing.net forward slash podcast for more information. If you enjoy the podcast, be sure to subscribe and share with your friends, tagging One Crossing on social media. Thank you so much for listening.